0: Hello, if you are tuning into this, it's me, Chloe, and Eliana, and we are introing you to a pre-recorded, patron-released episode. Uh, this time, you're about to hear A Song for Leah by George R.R. R. Martin. You may have heard of the guy. I mean, you may have. But this is an old... This was not that old, actually. I feel like it's older than it is. It was recorded almost a year ago at the front of 2023, That's kind of, that was, yeah, I think it was January's Patreon episode. It was the 54th ever Girls Gone Canon Patreon bonus episode.
1: Yeah, this kind of kicked off our new journey into George's short stories and was a blast. And yeah, I I think it was really fun to start covering this one. It was, it was raw. It was a raw story. (laughs)
0: It actually kind of spurred us to start reading Dream Songs bit by bit, and we are currently still reading some stories from Dream Songs Part 1, but there are some other episodes that we've done for the Patreon bonus episodes for patrons in the Stranger tier and above. That's five bucks and up over at Patreon.com. Uh, so the books or the stories, the novellas, the novelettes we've read so far are Bitter Blooms, Song for Leah, The Ice Dragon, and Meat House Man, which I do want to say I wanted to release Meat House Man, but you know, Eliana wants me to hold back the good stuff. So another time, another time. She wants to edge you all. So you're getting a song for Leah, which is equally as good in my opinion. I love this story. You have some familiar names, Leah, Rob. Those are some Stark names, but wait, they're not. Not in this case.
1: Yeah, these are not very Stark-esque people, but I mean, listen to the episode and find out, you know? We we dig into it and excited to share this with you. We're going to be doing probably way more George Short stories. We do say in this episode that we're not going to dig into the Thousand Worlds, but don't worry, we are doing it bit by bit.
0: In real time, we are learning about the Thousand Worlds universe. Yeah, we don't talk about it much in this one because it was our first foray. But I think uh, as we go, we're starting to kind of see some of the connections more for ourselves. So that's kind of a fun arc. It's a fun arc. We had a really fun arc from the front of the year to the end of the year. That's true. Wow.
1: Yeah, a thousand We are worlds, great main characters. Da, 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 da. I'm just singing the songs from ffx too.
0: Uh Eliana and clob Clob <laughs> Well, you know, you have the Leah. I think the uh, I, mean. I was like Eli Aliyah uh, and Claubaba. We'll workshop it. Aliaba. <laughs> uh well, we hope that you have a great time listening to this episode. And again, you can unlock bonus episodes for yourself by going over to patreon.com slash gone canon. That's C-A-N-O-N canon. And we hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Patreon episode 54, Hmm. a song for Leah.
1: Yeah, I'm now firmly in the camp that it's Leah, like Liana, even though some people say Liana, but it's spelled like Liana in the books, so in the Song of Ice and Fire books.
0: I'm very glad that it took you three to four weeks to come to this, Eliana, and that I had to suffer during those three to four weeks while you decided. Well, some
1: people, I'm, I I just want to acknowledge that some people want to say Lia, right? And for me, on this podcast, again, solely because of my own name, I'm a Liana household. I'm a Liana pronunciation household.
0: Glossing over you literally saying Lia the last time we recorded because you are a Lia. I said both. Is what I'm both. saying. <laughs> Uh they don't cancel each other out, Eliana. <laughs>
1: your sins only compound, Eliana. <laughs> uh,
0: write that one down oh on your God. pillow and think about it every night. Oh every night. I'm glad that you're all here to witness this uh this bickering. This 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 marriage of ours, this bickering. We are not going to be doing that the whole episode. We actually I think we're both really into this little story, this cute little guy that George wrote. Back Isn't in it cute. What seventy-four? Seventy-three. I guess he
1: wrote it in seventy-three, right? And then it was published in 74. Yeah.
0: We're gonna go into some of that history, some of those semantics in just a minute. Hey, next month, your special Patreon episode is already decided. It was announced last week, but if you missed it in our season premiere update, we're doing the mystery night next month, which I'm very excited about
1: we are we are finally completing that's that's really sad actually to say we are completing the currently published duncan
0: egg novellas what (laughs) it's just we're out of books
1: oh that's not true
0: we're not though we're not we
1: could we could read the world device we're not gonna we're not covering the world device (sighs) uh I guess we could go back and do the beginning of Fire and Blood, but...
0: To go forward, you got to go back, but that's for... We
1: still have all the other POVs that we haven't done.
0: Man, there's a lot of book left. There is a lot of book left. You're right. We're not out of book yet. We still have, God, nine POVs in this baby. You know, we could go all night. (laughs) And we have Dream Songs. We could cover so much more from Dream Songs because I'm really having a good time reading these novellas, novelettes. Stories, whatever you want to call them, I'm having a good time reading all of them so far. I've started on a couple of the other ones, and
1: George has me hooked. They've been they've been really fun. And this one, this is like one of his much older, towards the beginning of his, I guess, published career of of stories. It was first published in June 1974 in an issue of Analog Science Fiction and Fact. There's a lot of those those sci-fi and fantasy like magazines with, with short stories and stuff in them.
0: He then included it in a short story collection of A Song for Leah and Other Stories in 1976 it was published and Night Flyers and Other Stories which was published in 85. He also included it with which you've read Night Flyers? No, right? I haven't. I haven't. No, okay. You're confusing me with Just Matt. house. <laughs> Matt, I am I'm We're sorry so I similar. am confusing you with Joe Magician. <laughs>
1: We're
0: so we're well, not. you've read a lot yeah. of these other Outer works before I have. Not so really, not that much y- more. Like Meat House Man I haven't read, which I, I know you're going to bring up probably today because I feel like there's a little bit of Meat House Man in this from what you've said too.
1: Yeah, it's because a lot of these stories, and, and we'll talk about this in a bit, some of the stuff that I've read of his came out at similar times. But I just really need to include this this kind of quote that is in the wiki for the Asongfolia book as opposed to about, like, the summary of the story. So here's the thing. You write a lot of stories. Your George obviously didn't hit it big yet back then. He hit it big later. And a few of them, they're, they're not going to all be good. They can't all be bangers, right? And this is one of the reviews for this collection of A Song for Leah and other stories. Uh, it says here on Wiki, Spider Robinson, who is another acclaimed author, reviewed the collection favorably, declaring that while a few stories were duds, that the good stuff in Song for Leah is so dazzlingly good that it would cover a much greater multitude of sins. So I was like, dang, how bad does everything else though? I do kinda wanna know.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's a very I mean that's a that's a very spicy review. It
1: is to put out there,
0: right? That's some that's some heavy shit. What's his name again? Spider
1: Robinson,
0: which is also like Spider Robinson. Imagine your name.
1: That can't be his real name, can it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry that you were born in the comics of Spider-Man, Spider-Robinson, but (laughs) that's what I feel like. I feel like he's like a journalist that's talking crap about Spider-Man right now. Leave Spider-Man alone, Spider.
1: It doesn't give me his first name so far, but it does say, they stop calling him his childhood nickname of Robbie, which I assume just comes from Robinson. So what is his first name? And gave him the nickname Spider, which he eventually adopted as his official first name. Robinson adopted the name out of admiration for blues musician Spider John Corner.
0: I'm way off. I was way, way off on my guess. He is not a Spider-Man villain. I still
1: don't know his first name.
0: I don't think we're supposed to.
1: I'm sure I could find out, but unfortunately, everyone, that's not what today's podcast is actually about.
0: (laughs) No, not at all. So I feel like that's an uncharitable review because I feel like art and writing is like you have an incurable something, ailment, going on in your brain and you have to try with all your might to get it out all the time. And sometimes it's an easy battle and sometimes it's a hard battle. So I think some of these, I mean, even if they're not winners, because they can't all be winners, I'd be interested to read them just because of like the overarching George R. R. Martin themes going on in there i
1: assume so dream songs includes a couple of these right like i think with morning comes this mm-hmm. fall isn't it as well as the second kind of loneliness and a few of these other ones yes but i assume the ones that are not in dream songs george was like spider was right we can't we can't we release those
0: <laughs> well and this is an anthology to show his like more polished works yeah. at the time right because this was released in 2003 so dream songs is where i'm reading it from I have both part one and part two, and that's the 2003 anthology, A Retrospective. Two R's, retro. Oh, wait, really? Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. No, it's really just
1: one. Oh, it's really okay, just that's
0: one just R. Okay, it's just your typo. Missed I thought, opportunity. I thought this was a for yeah. Railroad Martin. It's an intentional typo. It's uh, mm. uh, it, it, I think he missed that opportunity, but no, <laughs> it is a retrospective of his works, and I'm uh, I'm trying to wrap up part one so I can read all of part two. Mm.
1: Well, let me know when you get to Beed House, man. It is in there. It's towards the end, Mm -hmm. right? It's in like part Mm -hmm. five.
0: I haven't gotten deep enough in to care or understand his thousand worlds, right? His world building in the thousand worlds worlds. I know you've read some of them that continue on in there. Eliana, you have a caveat for us this episode of what to expect or not to expect with them.
1: So Chloe and I are going to, I think, really dig into the themes and some of the ways that we see this connect with what we have read by George especially on a lot of that emotional level, but we're not going to dig into like the lore and the world building of how this plays into the Thousand Worlds universe, like Meat House Man is part of that, and as is Dying of the Light, and he's got a lot, a lot of stuff in- and short stories that are in this, but we're not going to have anything, I think, insightful about like, so this means this about the wrong ends or whatever.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be very fun in this conversation if that was what we focused on, honestly, because I'm just not, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not as versed in those thousand worlds.
1: Yeah, same.
0: So maybe in the future. Maybe in the future.
1: Maybe. Could happen.
0: I really wanted to bring up the light of distant stars, the section that comes right before a song for Leah where George is practically introducing a song for Leah and this time of his life and these stories of his life from around this time and what they mean to him and this part of the collection. And I felt like it was just such a love story to some of his earlier works. And he writes, A Song for Leah is the oldest of the six stories in this section. It was written in 1973, during my days in Vista, when I was living on Margaret Terrace in Chicago's Uptown, sharing a third floor walk-up with some of my college chess cronies, and working at the Cook County Legal Assistance Foundation. I was also in the midst of my first serious romance of my life. It was not the first time I had ever been in love, but certainly the first time my feelings had been reciprocated. That relationship gave Leah its emotional core. Without it, I would have been the most proverbial blind man describing a sunset. A Song for Leah was my longest story to date, my first novella. When I finished it, I knew that I had finally surpassed with Morning Comes Mistfall and The Second Kind of Loneliness, written two years earlier. This was the best thing I'd ever done. I mean, it's really good. He has such a pride of this. Yeah, he has. He has such great feelings about this story, and probably some bittersweet and some sweet. And I love that. I think
1: you put it against the ice dragon, which is which is good. I enjoyed, but there's clearly a lot of really raw emotion in this, and I think that there's also, uh, again, like a, a clear rawness, right? And as he calls it, like emotional core that. Yeah, a Song of Ice and Fire has a lot of that, but it's much more refined now. You know, there is I think a much a much more obvious separation between him and that work.
0: And I do kind of love looking at authors and directors and seeing some of their earlier works yeah. and watching the refined works and seeing how that polish comes into play and what they wanted to focus on.
1: It's just so clearly much more personal and um a lot of his stuff during that time feels that way, which which I'll talk about in a sec.
0: So, overall feelings, I rather liked it. There's a certain sci-fi and comic element even to it, right? You can really see where some of his love of comics and love of science fiction comes into play. And I wouldn't rank sci-fi as my favorite category of media, but it's not not in my few favorite lists. Like, I do like some sci-fi, but I have more of an affinity for a lot of the elements that it tells. Because it's like you're just putting science fiction on top of themes. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the human heart being miserable, but you're adding the Schkeen on top of it. I'm also a longtime Marvel fan, like Mr. Railroad. You know, I can definitely connect to this through not just that or his writing, but also I really love X-Men and the Inhumans and, you know, even TV popular media, like heroes, Dr. Who, all of that sort of thing. I really loved more in my youth. So I love being able to connect to some of those sci-fi elements through his stories and i think it's like a good gateway for sci-fi right if you're not really into sci-fi the concepts are just emerging because they're smaller stories it's something that could possibly get people into more sci-fi
1: yeah and and a lot of sci-fi right comes through smaller you know short stories and a lot of them build that way and become bigger books like i i actually was much more into sci-fi than i was into fantasy earlier on and like the foundation series a lot of it is kind of made up of like short stories i would say uh that comes together i robot is an anthology my my first reaction as you know chloe upon finishing reading this this story was i messaged you i was like okay so it is just end of evangelion because earlier i told you i was like it kind of feels like it might be like this and then when i was done i was like so it is end of evangelion Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but it's also kind of a a noir you know, detective yeah. story. Like a lot of the tone and the way that the dialogue comes through, feels like a noir, which, which I think he kind of was channeling a little when you compare it to like mm-hmm. some of the language and other stuff. And it makes me think of like, oh, did he refine that a bit more when he comes to Ned that arc in A Song of Ice and Fire? Same as you, I, I, I really liked it. It is a very painful story, and I think it does a great job of evoking this sense of loneliness. And I think a lot of the atmospheric stuff about it and its sci-fi elements very much feel of its time. Yes. Yeah, it feels like very much there was something going around, like this is what a lot of the sci-fi authors, the the language and the sort of themes and environments that they were writing about at the time, a lot of them kind of have, share a similar, I think, atmosphere to them is... is best thing I can say, even around like those ideas of telepaths, which is something that Asimov is also starting to get into later on in that time, as well as other authors, right? And speaking of that Noor element, it does remind me a little bit of, there are some parts of it, especially with Leah's characterization, that does make me think of like, do androids dream of electric sheep, slash Blade Runner, even though the Blade Runner movie came out much later on, and uh, my, I don't know if it's controversial or not. Maybe some people think it is. I think that the movie is better than the book, which makes no sense. the The stories are very different. Do androids dream of electric sheep? Makes no sense. What is the frog about? I'm sure it's something really deep, but what is the toad? Okay, I'm probably just dumb. I, it must mean something.
0: But that comes from a, that's true. Like you're making great points that this comes from the era, right? Like you're coming right after a Clockwork Orange, which of course the book was one thing. The movie was, I mean, electric, right? Like that was freaky and some of those concepts that are in these stories when you translate them from book to screen sometimes you can evolve them even more right like the john dies at the end series i'm super into the movie was just fine they cut out the entire middle it was like there's mm. the beginning and the end and some stuff happened in the middle it was a fine movie and people some people even really call it a cult classic mm. like they thought it was great Where I'm like, no, if you read the books, you'd know that's no cult classic. Like, those books are insane, but there are concepts that are so unthinkable, right? Sci-fi concepts and eldritch concepts that are, like, unthinkable to the eye of how we humans would actually correlate it to a screen. Like, what would you see? What you're reading, how are you picturing it, and what would your brain actually do to put it on a screen? How would you see it? And some of those things, like Soylent Green or Clockwork Orange or Close Encounters, came out later that decade, logan's run they're really crazy movies that for their oh star wars too shit for their time yeah especially of like conceptualizing something like that on a screen so yeah that that was a big era in the 70s especially in 80s i think and blade runners success comes from a lot of that
1: yeah it comes from a lot of that same yeah you know i know that like Philip K. Dix, like much earlier, but obviously his his writing influences a lot of this next like this generation of uh, writers of which George mm-hmm. is a part of, etc. So absolutely. It, it feels like very much of its time, the overall like culture of sci-fi at the time, but it also feels very much of its time in terms of George's writing and like mm-hmm. the themes and ideas and emotions that he's working through in Dying of the Light in regards to, I think relationships, and, and the turmoil of love, and getting over it, and Meat House Man definitely explores it from a different angle, and all I can say is, like, you read these stories together, and I'm like, George was really fucking going through it in the <laughs> mid to late 70s, like, he was really going through it, friends, like, I'm glad, like, he seems much more okay later on, um, I think he's going through a different I'm thing glad now. i it all worked
0: out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paris, telling you, I think when he did get to meet Paris, it's a big step.
1: Yeah, I think that that he like met her actually like even in the middle of what. So a lot of this is born out of his first relationship, which was like a serious one with another writer, and we we'll, we might talk about that a little. Then he gets married soon after, and that marriage falls apart by like seventy nine or something. But I think he mm-hmm. meets Paris. Like I don't know. Anyways, so.
0: I'm not someone to compare timelines. Do you, George?
1: Well, no, no. I think like he like knew her, and I don't think he was, you know, he and Paris has said like yeah that they were they're not monogamous, as far as I know. So like, but he was really going through it with his first relationship, and then later on maybe his first marriage. But
0: (sighs) but that's what breeds such great art that pain that misery like george r r martin would not be the writer he is today without having gone through the shitty yeah month but apparently
1: here. he it also bred really bad art according to spider robinson
0: spider robinson sucks we don't know that. i don't ever want to hear that prick's name on the internet again he was so uncharitable that was an uncharitable well, but review what if it's
1: just honest and maybe george agrees with him and was like hey you know what that was not very good
0: what if it's honest and that spider has bad like taste? armageddon
1: rag right didn't like that almost end george's career which i have not read because yeah. i'm not like i don't know if i'm ready to read like this terrible thing from george
0: i don't know i think there's good in every piece of shit you know
1: I mean, the act of shitting can be fun sometimes.
0: (laughs) So let's jump into the story of a song for Leah, right? We will give a quick summary and then we'll talk about some of these components of the story. I am very interested in that. Rob and Leah are two telepaths visiting Shkia to investigate the effect their culture's having on humans there. Leah and Rob are special. Rob is telepathic and he can understand people's feelings. Leah's powers are deeper. She can read, you know, people. She could just read their little brains. But Leah's kinda isolated because of that power. The Shkeen religion is based on the Grishka, a giant jelly-like parasite that consumes the Shkeen when they're ready to offer themselves up from the joining to the final union. The Shkeen are given, or infected, with a Grishka during a ceremony that Rob and Leah do attend at some point in the story. Leah reads their minds, sees their loneliness, and learns that the Grishka actually removed the loneliness. Rob and Leah have a very emotional discussion, but she later disappears.
1: Dun dun dun. Rob is goaded to come to a cave to see a final union by an administrator who swears they'll work to find Leah, and that his investigation is most important. He reads the emotions in the middle of the ceremony and receives a feeling of overwhelming love, which renders him unconscious. He wakes and learns that he tried to read more people in the cave, lost control, and tried to walk into the Grishka. In his sleep, Leah communicates with him, telling him that she let herself be consumed by the Grishka to experience the ultimate afterlife, one where all of the people are absorbed into it and share love without loneliness. She begs him to join her, but he refuses and in the end returns to his homeworld. Rob hopes to find the meaning of life to overcome not just the Schkeen loneliness, but human loneliness. And just... Chloe has to... Okay, you deliver this last slide, because I have no (laughs) sense of reference for this.
0: Uh, Just like the finale of Frasier, he takes a chance with Laurie Blackburn. Just kidding. It was just a joke. Is is that the
1: name of a character in Frasier?
0: No... No, and I'm not going to spoil-spoil it, but there's just a moment that made me think about it where Fraser is taking a chance on love and it's, like, the end of everything. But if you if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Word. Wherever Someday you'll yeah, watch I it. I
1: think, I mean, I might. Like, my college roommate who introduced me into A Song of Ice and Fire was really into Fraser also.
0: Oh, it's pretty good. It's unfortunately really good. Like, I, I thought maybe... Watching through it very slowly, I was like, "We'll see if I get into it." Into it. Oh yeah, it's good. Okay, I feel like it's fun. It. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, let's start, I guess, by talking about the emotional core of this story, right? It's it's very much about Robin, Leah, and everything else is kind of set dressing in a way.
0: Like you mentioned, the whole noir vibe, right? The detective arc of they're coming to this planet looking for something. It could be an even shorter a novelette if you removed all of that set dressing and just had their telepathy and, you know, the, the center part of the plot of the big emotional outburst argument between the two of them, a discussion between the two of them. It could have just been that, you know, it was uh, at its core. It was very electric, weirdly incestual in a not incest way. Does that make sense? And maybe that's the telepathy of it all. But there's just this very emotionally erotic, intimate thing going on with Rob and Leah.
1: Oh, okay. I thought you meant like in the sense that they were both maybe talents raised together at like Xavier Academy or something.
0: (laughs) That too, yeah. I mean, I think there's actually a very dark, intimate kind of thing about that. You could see that the way they were raised and how, with their talents, how they were raised, that really shows, in my opinion, on. The way that they handle their emotional intimacy with one another, and even with their powers, right? Rob is able to read feelings, which is sometimes more vulnerable and revealing than Leah, who just reads their entire mind. Like I feel like there's the difference of big scope versus small scope Mm -hmm. in scale for their powers, and it shows kind of a balance between them that isn't quite right.
1: Yeah, there definitely is one, and it took me a while to understand. Like, does Leah also read? feelings or does she just read like the thoughts you know like is it different kinds like in the sense that maybe feelings are like being able to hear sounds and and what leah but cannot see right and then uh leah can read like the kind of information but can't feel it but it, i don't know and then later on it kind of makes me think that she could do both but what, what do you think
0: I think at least for Rob, it leaves him kind of blind to what others actually think and feel. There were a lot of moments in the story where Rob would say, oh, I felt this, they feel this, but kind of aswafy in a way. It leaves it open to interpretation, right? Like you can feel their feelings, but you don't have the context to what they're actually thinking so you're kind of projecting those thoughts onto them, which kind of aligns with what he's done to Leah yeah. for so long too, in some ways. So I think there was kind of a theme of that because there was always, he'd read someone and immediately say, this is what they're feeling uh, where Leah could think what they're thinking, but not, not a hundred percent what they're feeling. I feel like they complete one another, right? Like their powers are missing from one another is kind of how I felt. I felt like they had the split of that, that he had the part, the other part and vice versa. Yeah. Not that she couldn't feel. Like, I think she had a normal amount of feeling and that she probably, probably a super normal when you think about it, like more normal, probably has an affinity to it. But I just felt like at least for him that he, he at least is missing that part of it.
1: Yeah, he is.
0: He can't see the whole picture. And
1: I think that makes sense also from the narrative point of view, right? Because part of the issue is the mystery is not just what's happening on the planet. It's how the planet is affecting Leah and the changes going through her, and that is part of the mystery for Rob. Like, what the fuck is happening to my girlfriend?
0: Yeah. There's something in their relationship that bleeds through, right, that was so compelling and human, where Leah's telling Rob she can feel that complete pressure of what he wants her to be, and the disconnect between when they talk and they're actually one, when they're fucking, like, that they're one then, but when they're talking, they're nothing. Right. That she's like, but when I talk to you or when you talk to me, like, you don't get it. You're like on a different plane altogether than her. The passage in the book is so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't not bring this. Like, this is, I really loved this. We only trick ourselves when we think that someone else is there. In the end, in the cold, lonely end, it's only us by ourselves in the blackness. Are you there, Rob? How do I know? Will you die with me, Rob? Will be. We- be together then? Are we together now? You say we're luckier than the normals. I've said it too. They have only a touch in voice, right? How many times have I quoted that? But what do we have? A touch and two voices, maybe. It's not enough anymore. I'm scared. Suddenly I'm scared. I mean that's so fucking raw, first of all, George. Whoa.
1: Yeah, a lot of it wow. is him really really exploring, I think, like Relationships and and love and I think we'll dig into that in a second. But yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it is really good.
0: As much as Rob has been feeling things forever, like I love that she just turns it on him and says, "Like, but you don't get it as much as you get everybody else." And the god, that idea of like, what if love isn't enough?
1: Yeah, and and it's uh, what if our love isn't enough? And I do think that is scary, right? Especially mm-hmm. when she goes chasing after what she does, and, and, I, and loneliness is scary. I think that's something that carries through into a lot of George's works, right? It's very much a lot of what Meat House Man is about, and Dying of the Light is a very, I think, lonely story in the way that it, 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 it progresses, but you see it in... I mean, even in The Ice Dragon, right? It's about this little girl who's afraid of loneliness. And no one wants to try to really understand her, and and the ending is about her learning to finally like connect with people, even though it means giving up a little part of like herself and and mm-hmm.
0: yeah, the passage where they're really going at it, you know, when they have their final big bust down, their final fight, their final fight and fuck before it's fight final and a final boss, a final boss. And you say I'm perfect, and that you love me. I'm so right for you, but am I? Rob, I read your thoughts. I know when you want me to be sexy, so I'm sexy. I see what turns you on, so I do it. I know when you want me to be serious, and when you want me to joke. I know what kind of jokes to tell, too. Never the cutting kind, you don't like that, to hurt or see people hurt. You laugh with people, not at them, and I laugh with you and love you for your tastes. I know when you want me to talk and when to keep quiet. I know when you want me to be your proud tigress, your tawny telepath, and when you want a little girl to shelter in your arms. And I am those things, Rob, because you want me to be. Because I love you. Because I can feel the joy in your mind at every right thing that I do. I never set out to do it that way, but it happened. I didn't mind. I don't mind. Most of the time, it wasn't even conscious. You do the same thing, too. I read it in you. You can't read as I do, so sometimes you guess wrong. You come on witty when I want silent understanding, or you act the strong man when I need a boy to mother, but you get it right sometimes too, and you try. You always try. It's so, uh, the the projecting on Leah that she finally gets to say, I can always feel this from you of what you actually want. Do you actually want me? Am I enough? Not even just are we enough, but that question of, you know, self-worth. Am I enough? It's a real feeling and and how it applies in your daily life and to the person you love. It was just such a great segment of the book, something really raw and emotional. And it brings up, just like with the final unions, the ideas of sacrifice, right? Of humans deciding to give themselves over and that something must be wrong. But what's wrong is us. Human condition is wrong. Like, we're wrong. The desire for unconditional love that we have programmed in us is, and not not wrong, but, you know, that we were built this way. That's who we are.
1: Yeah, like you said, it's not wrong, but it's painful. The loneliness and, like, to, yeah. the desire for love and the desire to be loved by others. To love someone else and to have that reciprocated. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, hold on, Jacques Lacan, and I haven't read this in a long time, so uh, I'm about to probably like do a very bad job of explaining and butchering this, but his theory of desire and it's got a couple of different stages until until it like when it projects right. And part of it is like the desire to be recognized and to be seen. And I think a lot of the story talks about that, right? That's kind of the appeal of telepathy to an extent. and that's the appeal, especially for Leah, of the Grishka and and the union, right? That finally someone can recognize and see her fully as someone who's always, like, kind of able to look in. And then there's the other projection of, these, of desire in which you not only desire the other, right, for recognition, and the other capital O, something that is outside of yourself, the other person, the object of desire is what the other is, but then you desire that desire. And then you start seeing Leah... In this passage that you pointed out, she shows how she's lost herself, she's already been sacrificing and losing herself anyway, how different is that anyway from being joined or the final union, which is something that is so terrifying yeah. to someone like Dino. And there's other there's other parts too in which the stages of desire work, with, in which, again, like the desire for the other and then the desire to encapsulate the other into yourself, which is essentially the final union is. Or assimilated into yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least she could be herself there. You know, she is,
1: and she is. It wouldn't right? matter
0: who she is. Yeah,
1: it wouldn't matter who she is, or at least someone else can feel that. And that's part the part that makes me think so much of like End of Evangelion, right? Like human instrumentality, which I'm only speaking of very vaguely in yeah. case any of you decide to ever watch it if you haven't yet. But yeah, I don't know. I think I'm too Eva-pilled because like what Leah wants, she makes such a good case for it. You know. It it makes sense because I think all of us probably have felt that, and that's what makes this such a powerful work of George's. Because, like, of course people feel lonely and want to know, like, you know, it must be lonely knowing what everyone else feels, but feeling separate and always having to perform and thus lose yourself.
0: Yeah, Leah comes from the, the gifted child pipeline. <laughs> I'm just kidding,
1: kind of. <laughs> kind of, I mean, that's apparently... Yeah. It, yeah, actually. She's not only like separated from because of her ability, she's separated because everyone sees her as different in that ability, right? We see it from like from Lori and what she says, she's like, Oh, I imagine it like investigating's probably like much easier for you. And she's not allowed to participate in things. Like she's not allowed to gamble.
0: Yeah, she's not seen as a real person. I mean, she's seen not as her own entity, she's seen as her talent.
1: Yeah. And she lets herself, I'm not, this isn't, like, blaming her, but she lets herself be swept up in that when it comes to someone she loves, like Rob, because, I mean, who hasn't, like, been a little swept up in that before? You know, you you try to conform, maybe, to the expectations of the people that you love, because, of course, you want to feel accepted. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's interesting that rather than retreat and run from her humanity, her answer is then instead to open herself up to the rest of everyone entirely, which is which contrasts with Dino's approach of withdrawal. And I don't know, I think to Rob and Lori's points, though, like, as you were saying, there's that desire for unconditional love, but maybe there's something to me that I think is also really beautiful about you get to keep who you are, you get to keep your separations and, you know, the AT fields. Uh, but the effort that it takes to love people despite the barriers between us right and like having the effort in trying to love and it not being effortless i think is what makes it meaningful to me
0: yeah the i love the the entire sex scene yeah with them right is really electric as well because You know, it breaks, it it rips all those veneers off, it rips all of the the fancies off, and they are just one, and even their minds, their bodies, everything, they have one goal in that moment, and they feel so close together, like, closer than ever,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then outside of one another, they're not, and that contrast was just so heartbreaking, right, and it showed that idea of, like, loving people despite those barriers between us, how you're so close, Yeah. right? They were so close, and- they could just work harder, they both said to one another, but it was over.
1: Yeah. It's it's fleeting. Did you ever watch Sensei? Yeah. It reminds me of like the giant sex scene. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um Yeah, I think people are are interested in that kind of idea. There's also something in it like That just, again, feels like George's work of this time working through his relationship and maybe it dissolving. Because I think there's a part of this that very obviously feels like, I think my relationship's not going the way that I want it to go. (laughs) And that desire to kind of hold Leah closer, hold like, I don't know, whoever he was in the relationship with, yeah, like even harder. And then feeling yourself losing them and... No matter how like much you try to grasp, you still like lose the per- other person in the
0: relationship. Like smoke billowing out of your hands.
1: Yeah. And I think you can see that a little in some stuff in The Song of Ice and Fire, but you can definitely see it in Dying of the Light with Jenny and the stuff in Meat House Man. And part of it makes it so that these are not the best written women that George has ever done. <laughs> because, uh... Partially of its time, partially I think Georgia just wasn't, like, as good at it back then, but there's a lot in here of people projecting onto women in these stories, you know, putting them on on a pedestal, then, oh, oh my gosh, she turns out not to be who you thought this whole time, had her own, like, thoughts, and then changes over the course of the story, or becomes lost to the protagonist in some way, but then the protagonist usually discovers themselves, or something about themselves through it. Not in Meat House, man, the protagonist loses himself, but, um... Especially like the idea of I don't know the other the the woman that they're projecting onto like being the more talented or brilliant one. A lot of the times they are, and it kind of makes me think. I'm sure other. I think others have talked about this probably, but you know, in the idea of being one to create something, makes me think of Lisa Tuttle and George writing Windhaven together, mm. which I've never read, okay. so I don't know. Was she better? Was me she either,
0: not? But... <laughs> right. Yeah. I think yeah you put it very poignantly like the idea of just chasing even though you know it's over as the smoke billows out of your hand and it's gone and and it comes to like embracing that it existed you know that that's what you have to do is embrace that it happened the experience over the loss of experience and, and the loss of the innocence that you had of the relationship i mean i think that's very it's very eloquently done all across their relationship
1: Yeah. And he kind of explores the person that he was back then through his later works, the person who cannot let go. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, I think George did learn and, or I hope so. We were talking about, you know, Rob and Leah are not very much like their same name counterparts in A Song of Ice and Fire. And I don't know that Rob is, maybe he's more like Robert Baratheon, I guess. And Leah... There's still an aspect of Leo that yeah. is a little like Liana. I don't think he's reusing these characters at all, but like still that aspect of, oh, this isn't the person that you thought you you just projected everything onto her, and then she runs away.
0: Absolutely, that was exactly what I was thinking. Coming back to to that idea of that manic pixie fantasy girl yeah. or manic pixie sci fi girl but in nightmare. this situation, yeah,
1: manic pixie like nightmare, nightmare who, well, she's the one having nightmares, I guess.
0: It was actually really devastating, like. The idea, yes, like, Rob has been projecting on her, but it's very devastating. Like, I knew the second that he passed out, I knew she was gone. I was like, oh, <laughs> she gone. And I do wonder yeah. if that's related. Wait, which part Right, like, out? the second I read it, um, when he first passes out down at the cave, okay, yeah, yeah. when they're like, yeah. oh, no, we'll find her. It feels to me, because I do think they had an intrinsic, like, psychic link right with one another that was special which is like intimacy with someone I mean you and I have a psychic link I think so we finish each other's sandwiches
1: yeah Yeah. all the time all the time
0: yeah but and it's something that reminds me a little bit of like the dire wolves right or the idea of warging or skin changing in a song of ice and fire that they share one skin together like the sex Mm. that they had uh and that being in each other's thoughts and feelings in such an intimate way all the time You know, it's different. There there's probably ethics about when you go into someone's thoughts and how you go into someone's thoughts, Mm. much like warging and skin changing. And when you share it with just one other person, the rules are different. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this this can transition us a little into like the world building of of the Shane and stuff and how they aren't necessarily like they are and they aren't a monogamous society, right? And something in the quote that you pulled Mm -hmm. out from Leah of saying like you know I can tell when you want me to be your tigress or your telepath or a little girl that you protect and she's like sometimes I want you to act a strong man or I want you to be like a boy that I can mother and it makes me think of like this podcast I was listening to from a a, 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 a psychologist or or a counselor or therapist um, talking about how people's relationships have evolved and how infidelity has always kind of existed but now we see marriage and love and monogamy as the end-all, be-all of things, right? And you expect one person to fulfill every single one of your needs. Uh, you For them to be like your partner and co-parent and someone that you protect, but someone who also protects you and then provider and all of these other things. But one person can't be every single one of those things for you, you know, like you were talking about... Mm-hmm yeah, you and I have, like, a close partnership and friendship, but, like, we don't expect, I think, our partner, our romantic partner to be all of the things for us. But sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And, and that's a difficult thing to to navigate. And the Shkine don't have that, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's an idea of, like, of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Like, of a certain enslavement in a way and, like... Like The idea, I think there's a lot in George's talk, too, of like people gathering and the power that they can be as one against others, right? And I think that hive mind idea of being able to give in from the things that enslave us as human beings. Yeah. Being able to give in to one another and be stronger together.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how his thoughts have evolved, or not evolved, or how he like comes at it from a different angle in, in A Song of Ice and Fire, like that the union would be cloying and as you said slavery as opposed to comforting
0: right because they show up and they're like well why are they just choosing to do it but when leah and rob read it all we learn is how great it is yeah
1: i'm like it
0: sounds wonderful like, it sounds
1: okay it doesn't sound like horrendous um and you're talking about yeah, union. you're talking about yeah britney spears is a sl- i'm a slave for you and oh my god um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, regarding the world building, I will say for two seconds, because they eat meat rolls at one point, then later on he's like, oh, we had other meat rolls. And I was like, I was ready for him because they were given like from the joined or something. And I was ready for the reveal that they're for it to be like, oh, I was eating shkeen? I was eating the peoples. But turns out that that wasn't it. George just likes to write about food, <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to talk about the different kinds of meat rolls. <laughs>
0: Uh, he hadn't gotten to his, uh, his cannibalism art yet. No, he did, with the
1: Frongans.
0: That's true, that's true. I love when we get to actually see, to see the Grishka, right? To see the entire, the entire thing. His beam had thrown a pool of light around one of the dark spots, a blemish on the reddish hulk. I looked closer, there was a head in the blemish, centered in the dark spot with just the face showing. And even that covered by a thin, reddish film, but the features were unmistakable. An elderly schkeen wrinkled and big eyed, his eyes closed now, but smiling. Smiling. <laughs> Metal. Uh I've seen some fan art. I went oh. I know. Sometimes you huh. get a little well little, little stony baloney and you go on the internet and you're like, Google a song for Leah fan art. It's a trick, I really it's a pro reader hack. If you want to do that, everyone, you know, you just <laughs> take a little (laughs) break on google but some of the art is really cool i've really enjoyed it it's horrifying in a real way the entire description of the tissue right of, of it being made of tissues made my stomach roll as i imagined all those caverns but it's also that it's human just like us in a way right like it's alien but aren't we the aliens
1: technically we are in this story
0: yeah precisely
1: yeah uh, I don't. I don't think I really like caught that. But about the cavern. But yeah, it's that. It's also when you think about it, kind of Freudian in a way too. Like the the womb and tomb thing.
0: Womb, yes.
1: Birthing cavern, mm-hmm. but dying.
0: But birthing something else.
1: Yeah, the joining and the desire to be engulfed and part of another person once more.
0: Mm, a marriage like ice and fire.
1: Oh yes, and and being one if love and hate can mate.
0: Uh mm-hmm. huh. Mm-hmm. I yep. did not see? look up this fan One art. One hive mind.
1: <laughs> I did not look up this fan art. I only. Okay, speaking again of the, the song for Leah book. What a wild cover! It's just lips. It's just all these weird lips. Yeah. Which I can see how that would relate to the story. I do think I, I was kind of wondering, like when you, we first opened the story, they're talking about what the buildings look like. Uh do the homes in world look a little bit like the Grishka blobs? Is that what inspires the architecture other than George maybe having visited Santa Fe or New Mexico at one point?
0: That's kind of what I was thinking too. I didn't think about the Santa Fe, New Mexico though. That's funny. Yeah, I could see that now. And he might
1: not have like visited huh. yet. Yeah, that might just be like, cause I don't know. He, I know he moves to Santa Fe later on.
0: You know, something I have to tell you is one of the original art, uh, like the illustrations, I don't know. I think it may have been from its original release from the first release that we talked about. But there's a Byron poem at the front oh, really? of it. Huh. Yep. And it has this uh artwork of on the left Rob and then on the right Leah amongst almost like petals. It looks like flowers, but it's light kind of showing that she's part of the hive mind now. And the Byron poem is for the sword out outwears its sheath, and the soul wears out the breast, and the heart must pause to breathe and love itself have rest.
1: Georgia's really going through a poetry phase, huh? With a lot of these.
0: Such a mood. It's such a mood. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that.
1: That's funny. I'm, I'm trying to envision this image that you're telling me, and all I can think of is like this: Chloe mean manga shoujo petals, anime shoujo petals yeah. around Leah.
0: I'm sending it to you because you'll be like, yes, yes. It's very uh, 84 Dune too. Oh, before 84 Dune probably happened.
1: This is you know? not what I expected that to look like. But okay, yeah, okay. yeah, I see that. And uh, there's the interesting tower. pedal work mm-hmm.
0: there, though, right?
1: Yeah, it looks kind of like just a printed poster esque thing. Also, very of its time. <laughs> this looks very of its time. <laughs> so the public confession and as like aspect of the religion, and also the collective nature of the Shogun re- religion. It kind of makes me think of how we see George still very interested in these ideas of redemption and forgiveness in his modern day works. And here he approaches it from this idea of this all encompassing love somehow has the power to cleanse people of their sins against one another. Granted, some of them are better than they don't kill each other. So that's one thing that uh, you don't have to be cleansed of for the most part, except for accidents like that one Shkin woman. But Also, does the promise of like a sort of guaranteed afterlife in that way, that guaranteed forgiveness and redemption, being connected to one another, does the story kind of lead you to feel that it leads people to try to be better, that obvious connection in society and community?
0: Right, because the result is that Rob leaves and he vows to somehow win over this, right? To win over the human condition, to not let their condition win over them.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Not let the loneliness drive them, you know, to immorality or amorality.
0: Damn, it's very much also the weirwood, right? We have the the idea of like when your blood goes into the weirwood, a la Lewin, like you're you're now joining the rest of the seers. You know, I mean, they're all going to be amongst all of the other seers, all the body of the body of Christ, to bring that that asshole into it.
1: Are they all in there? Because I always got the impression some of them are not in the tree. They're just in like random little birds that are gonna eventually die out.
0: You mean in atoms? In all the atoms floating around our yeah. world, every atom of you and every atom of me. <clears throat> so sad. I'm sorry. God, <laughs> God. I'm so sorry. <sighs> wasn't very kind. No, of me.
1: it wasn't. It was not.
0: I did think a little bit of His Dark Materials during all this, too, because th- there is kind of that idea, too, of you know, our souls finally being free from the eternal damnation that is being a fucking human being.
1: Kind of, and and when you put it like that, they make it that the argument is that the damnation of being a human being I mean, it comes back to start of like hell is other people, and somehow this one is actually heaven is other people. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting.
0: Baby, would you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on... Schkeen. <laughs> a place on Schkeen. That's, that's
1: ooh, the song. Ooh,
0: heaven a place is a place on a, Ooh, heaven's in the folds of the Grishka. Ooh. Oh, okay.
1: Here's another random uh, tinfoil that I had as I was reading this, rereading it. So they keep talking about like the amazing works that humans, the ones that are like us, have made. We make towers and spaceships, and they're like, why haven't the Shkeen done anything? And they're like, the Grishka doesn't have a yes-I-live to it, right? Mm-hmm. Did they find the Grishka and find out it was a medium that connected them all, or do you think that they could have made the Grishka themselves to connect themselves to one another? And that was their one big discovery.
0: That's interesting, because that's paid for it, you know? That's been enough to pay for their life this whole time. They haven't had to make those discoveries. Exactly.
1: They didn't need to impress anyone else or have that drive. There's more of a death drive. And they,
0: they do wonder and talk about how the Grishka, they think, must produce an organic pleasure drug, and that the Shkeen submit willingly and die happy and that the joy is real is what they kind of like start speculating over but Liana kind of shoots it down she's like no rob i don't think that's true
1: yeah it doesn't it doesn't right and that love does release what oxy
0: oxycode cuz i know that oxycontin oxycodone?
1: is like a name that comes from right oxycodone or whatever mm-hmm. and then dopamine yeah, oxycodone yes Dopamine, serotonin, technically love releases all of those, so it does in the sense that the emotion, not anything, like, injected.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big, that's an interesting part of it. It's that natural euphoria that comes from love. (laughs) Yeah. There's the passage where they talk about the morality of the Shkeen that insists they love everybody but... They're too human and too possessive, so they can't, and they wind up in monogamous relationships instead, because sex sharing with one is better than a million shallow physical things in their culture. The ideal is that they sex share with everyone, with each union being just as deep, but they can't achieve that ideal, a lot like what you and I were just talking about on how we don't actually have sex. It's just our brains like each other and are stimulated by one another, so we're joined in that manner.
1: Yeah, and we constantly create Sorry to shoot
0: down everyone's yeah. fantasies.
1: But we are, we're constantly creating something, you know, together.
0: Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah,
1: we're creating wh- whatever this is y'all are listening to. Um, but Chloe's having fun. I'm glad. I'm glad for her. Lord of
0: the Rings 2025. <laughs> oh
1: no, that's not a promise, anyone. That's- we're not actually doing that um yeah I thought that was interesting despite the shkin being essentially human with the exception of you know they got longer arms and uh no skin care and this religion get them retinol um the exploration of human jealousy <laughs> being inherent to the nature of many of the shkin especially I, I thought that was just interesting considering George's own personal love life but I, do I don't want to speculate. I, it feels a little too intrusive to speculate too much on that, but I just thought that yeah. was interesting. There's also that one Shkine whose brother dies without union and therefore Ugh. loses access to the afterlife, and that is sad, that, that whole idea that he's now howling forever alone. And yeah, I think, as I've said, George is still exploring those same ideas now. Loneliness is core to the idea of A Song of Ice and Fire. We see it with the Starks mourning, you know, that... The lone wolf dies, the pack survives. Daenerys' story starts out isolated from any of other characters. Her emotional arc is very much about loneliness as her story is lonely. And I think Tyrion's story is very much about loneliness. I mean, all of them, to some extent, right? Like the secrets that Ned keeps makes him lonely from others.
0: Yeah, I honestly, it makes me think of the nightlands for the Dothraki is what I really thought of right like the idea of not being able to make it to the nightlands having your soul not be able to go there Hmm. Uh, the idea of being stuck in between and not actually being able to go that's kind of yeah an interesting idea for an afterlife conscience the the stars
1: yeah that by purely by dying in some other way that uh you can't make it and this one there's kind of like a if you have psychics, you can kind of prove that it exists, maybe?
0: Like another plane. I mean, because we get communicated from that plane from Leah.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then she starts fading. She's still
0: able to. Well, then she starts yeah.
1: fading. So then you're kind of left with that question of, is she able to or is she not? But Rob believes that she would. he would be able to see Leah again and connect with her again if he did join the Grishka. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it makes sense because if her body was the conduit that allowed her to project, right? She's still in there astrally. Yeah, yeah, she's still in there. It's like her body like gave her—I don't know—not an antenna, but <sighs> worked in such a way that yeah, she could access thought, mind wave stuff. But as that got broken down and digested, I don't know.
0: It reminds me too of like the wall. John not being able to communicate Uh. below the wall or sense his brothers, and Bran as well not being able to completely communicate or sense his siblings, and not just the wall, but just in general, or like when Lady died. (laughs) Rip. When Lady dies and, you know, feeling her once having been there but no longer.
1: Well, that's great because I haven't thought of the wall in that sense, but the wall is very much, I think, perhaps a metaphor for the veil yeah the, the veil and the separation between people as well i mean now that his name is in front of me in this uh in this uh outline i can say Thalkarengi a- aka dino right he's described as having a wall
0: built around yeah. him. yeah let's talk about Lori and dino they're like the b plot to the story and i really actually i actually came to appreciate them i know i said earlier we could get rid of all of them because they were kind of forgettable They didn't have quite a... I think maybe they needed one more page, George. Come on. One more page. Yeah, I agree. But I really like the way that she came back at the end. Because, again, not about them. It's the B-plot. It's the, you know, Leah and Rob are the front of the Robert's Rebellion where this is the B-plot. This is what happened in the background with Ashara and Howland. Wink, wink. And this passage, I, I found this very interesting. Lori really interested me. His speech lasted for what seemed hours, but finally it began to wind up. He speaks now of union, Belkarangi whispered. He will be joined. He's joyful about it. He's craved it for so long. His misery is at an end. His aloneness will cease. Soon, he shall walk the streets of the sacred city and peal his joy with the bells, and then final union in the years to come. He will be with his brothers in the afterlife. No, Dino, this whisper was Lori. Quit wrapping human phrases around what he says. He will be his brothers, he says. The phrase also implies that they will be him. I found Lori very interesting the first read-through because she almost seems ashamed to be like them, if that makes sense, and also fearful of Dino, seeming to lose his humanity, almost seeing them as kin to himself, and probably afraid of losing him, right? Like Rob loses Leah, is kind of what it felt like. It, it was very Eternal Sunshine B-plot, in a way, is what it made me think about. And at first read, it almost seemed like Dino was sinister in a way, and I don't think he is, but it was a very flat way that like he was enticing them to come see what everything was going on with the skein, like all about the religion. But in a way, he was trying to seduce them, but not in that way. It was more he's worshipping them as well. Like, he's also slowly giving himself to the Skeen and it felt like a really great extension of plot.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really insightful way of looking at you know because I didn't see that but what you're saying is totally right. He's trying to seduce them. He's very charismatic. Mm-hmm. It's almost, there's a part of him that maybe almost does want to be seen and connected, but he can't recognize it himself, which is kind of what we're told in the story. But mm-hmm. yeah, Laurie I think is so important to to the story. Like she like Robin Leah's relationship, she's kind of the the smarter one, perhaps, of the two, you know? Like, or the one who's most interested in and understands the Shkeen more than Dino, at least.
0: Like what George said in the essay before this, right, about his first love. You know, this isn't his first love necessarily. This is his first requited love that he kind of wrote into this story. And Lori seems to be she has an unrequited love going on with Dino. He can never love her the way that she would want him to love her. Where you see with Leah and Rob, that's also the issue in a different, reflected way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they ring together really well, those two bells that, you know, Leah also needs something more that she can't have.
1: Yeah. That makes me rethink something about the character of Jenny, though, in Dying of the Light, um, and how even she's searching... For for a love that she cannot quite grasp exactly the way that she wants it to. But I think Lori it handsle- handles it, in my opinion, quite frankly, very maturely. She's like, This yeah. isn't this isn't what I need or want, even though I do desire it, and so she she's like, I just gotta get out of here, which, you know, good for you girl, go get a haircut, go um, you know, eat some ice cream and then move on, which is clearly I guess what she's doing. She has rebound sex with Rob and Rob bound sex. Um Rob bound sex. Raw bound sex. It's raw, if you will, also.
0: Oh my god.
1: Um yeah, and Dino's kind of mean. He's like keeps kind of ignoring every time she corrects him, you know, and we're kind of told from the beginning Balkarenji wasn't the kind of man who put much stock in rituals. So we're told right from the start he's not gonna understand. He's not gonna ever get it. And No. Yeah, I I like that he's all like, yeah, I like learning other people's languages because it gives me insight into how they think. And I'm like, but he doesn't really care about it because as in this quote that you brought up where Laurie corrects him and she has to do it a couple of times throughout this entire beginning part of the investigation. He doesn't care and he doesn't really seem to want to understand what afterlife means for them or that they'll be one with one with each other. Uh, it seems like he's only really interested, perhaps, in the accomplishment that knowing another language gives him, and and it's why he just cannot understand this new religion. I don't know, I part of me is, like, maybe if people like Valkarengi were more willing to try to understand the lore of the Grishka, like, would the Grishka's appeal be less strong, right? If, in general, people tried to understand each other better, and and... Even though they're the B-plot, I kind of feel like, is Dino somehow, by the end of the story, the actual real horror, the real monster? He's not a giant consuming parasite that like people choose to die to, or that screaming, violent landscape of love. It's the horror of someone who can never reciprocate Lori's feelings, which, you know, sure, it's fine to not love a particular like one person, right? Right where he made me feel like that but his complete lack of empathy for when he's like i don't understand why gustafson would have chosen final union when he's like oh i don't know he seemed like he was totally fine after this horrible thing happened to his family we gave him this really great assignment it was supposed to be super easy and a reward for like working so hard and everything that he lost i think he was fine i don't really understand why he did all that which is a complete contrast to liana
0: Yeah, he's also very fucking cavalier when Rob's like, "Um, Liana's gone, (laughs) Leah's gone, Leah's gone. I need to find Leah. She's gone. He's like, we have our best teams on it. Don't worry. Let's just go continue your work. That's more important. Right?
1: Oh, that's a great point. He's like, no, she's fine. It's like, she's not fine. And later on when Rob's like, no, she joined the Grishka. He's like, I don't think that's true.
0: I don't think that's true. Well, and I think there's a lot of like, free will and free thought, right? And having free will and free thought, we we adventured through a lot of that with The Song of Ice and Fire, and it it makes me think also that idea of, like, being free and having free will and free to be yourself and free to make choices in human consciousness, you see that he's kind of, the opposite problem is that he's such an empty asshole Mm -hmm. and so fucking, you know what I mean? Like, he's just so not full of depth that, like, he easily would have walked straight into the Grishka himself. And not for even, like, Leah's correct reasons of why she wanted to go. Yeah. He'd just do it because there was nothing else and because he was kind of almost in admiration of them.
1: Yeah. I think the only thing that would have kept, the only thing that keeps him from doing it is that, hmm, is that sense of ego, right? Not just the ego Mm -hmm. in terms of wanting to accomplish big things, but related to that. But because he has a very, I don't know if it's like he has a strong sense of self or not but a strong barrier up against other people and letting them influence mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I, as you said, yeah. I think I we could have used a little bit more of Laurie and Dino just because I think they present really interesting ideas.
0: And to that same token, I think that we didn't get more of it because of what you said, right? That they are, that is the truth of it. Right there. Dino and Laurie both are two very big examples of the underlying themes of the story.
1: yeah. But it could have been stronger with a little more. I mean, maybe it was it maybe it mm-hmm. would have been too heavy-handed. You know, I'm not the one with the a song for Leah nominated for I was nominated for some stuff. And it won a Hugo for Best Novella in nineteen seventy five, so
0: Yeah, it was nominated for a Nebula in seventy five and a Jupiter Award, and it took second place in the Locust poll. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So Well, The end plot. Let's talk about the end. I know we've talked about it a little bit here, but finding God, right? Humans finding God here. And Leah and Leah's favorite poem, Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold.
1: Yeah, George is really going through a phase during this time. Like you you pointed out the Byron poem at the opening of this. And also, Dying of the Light takes its name from Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night.
0: Yeah, he was going through a lot of different poetry and storytelling references so far that I've noticed in these. And I was excited to see that because I do like Dover Beach a lot. Yeah. It's actually, thing. it's a poem that I really like yeah. too. I was very surprised as well. I was like, oh, George, we're going a little uh, Matthew Arnold on it. And there's this bit.
1: I've never seen him uh, really, you know, other than like, I guess the title of Dying of the Light, right? Like, and he makes some kind of, references to like, I don't know, Shakespeare and stuff in A Song of Ice and Fire and other things, but I've never seen him so explicitly Mm -hmm. quote a poem like that.
0: Have you? No, and I think it is a little amateur, like not at all being mean to George here, but it is because it's an amateur move and this was something he did a long time ago. I don't think that, I think it has its place being able to reference it, but it is a little... It's interesting and it's a little uh, kitschy that he's like, oh, and that was Leah's favorite poem by Matthew Arnold, Dover Beach.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I think it's like amateur. As you said, there is a place for it and it works in the sense of a short story where you have a limited space and so you're letting the other works carry it for you.
0: It's brought up uh, a couple times actually yeah. in the story, like two or three times this comes up. But in a in basically the the showdown conversation between Rob and Dino, Rob says, where are our bells and our joy? They're happy, Dino. Are we? Maybe they've found what we're still looking for. Why the hell is man so driven anyway? Why is he out to conquer the galaxy, the universe, whatever? Looking for God, maybe? Maybe. He can't find him anywhere, though. So on he goes, on and on. Always looking, but always back to that same darkling plane in the end. Yeah. So well done, though. Like, it's, it's, it's well integrated into the story. It is, I do think it's like an, if, if you're not masterful in how you're doing it, it comes off a little playlisty. like, then my character listened to a playlist. Yeah. And this song came on. Uh, but he didn't do it in that way, and it worked for this. And there are two parts of the poem that I really love that I think represent the story and the the latter half especially. Mm-hmm. The Sea of Faith was once too at the full and round earth's shore, lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled, but now I only hear its melancholy long withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. I love this verse because it is full of so much figurative, metaphorical, and just assonance and dissonance being played with, with the sounds, with the 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 sea of faith the s's the f's the g's but then also pulling back with long roars and absolving it it's really well done to show kind of the battle going on also in the story between you know yourself between love yourself and between this collective and the final verse ah love let us be true to one another for the world which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams so various so beautiful so new Hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor help for pain. And we are here on a darkling plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. I found that those two verses were just so evocative of the underlying themes in the story, and that finale, basically, of the story of that battle against darkness, and that we all battle it, whether alone or with someone. That battle of finding the cure against human loneliness.
1: Yeah. And then in the context of the story that I love, let us be true to one another, right? Is its is it two people, you know, battling against the darkling plane, the darkness of the world with no joy in it together? Or is it I love, let us be true to one another in the way that Leah sees it. She's like, I love, let us be true to one another 14,000 years of other people who have all died and joined this.
0: (laughs) Leah's having some good brain sex. I can tell you that now. That girl is out there. That's why she did it. Good for her. She's like, listen, Rob, if I have to fuck you and only you inside my brain, outside of my brain for the rest of my life, I will die. She's like, if I'm going to lose
1: myself anyway in this way, I might as well do it in a way where everyone can know me.
0: And, she is just chugging astral plane dick, and I love that for I her. think that's the
1: difficulty with Leah, right? With uh, her character, it's... I don't really know who she is other than someone who wanted to be loved.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: she says, whoever I was was maybe a projection of what you wanted, Rob. And therefore, she's not like a fully fleshed out character
0: then. Yeah. You know? No, it's a classic GRRM character. Female. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably gonna die in childbirth in the afterlife. No, he gets I'm just kidding. Better. He um, does get
1: a lot better, and he that's has gross. gotten better.
0: That's growth, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, from a meta standpoint, I actually really love that. Yeah. though. That we don't know anything about Leah because for me, the projecting and the pedestaling that happens to her in the story is all done by Rob, and it also shows that part of it of like, oh, that is wrong. It did not work out for Rob to treat a person in that manner. It is not how you should treat one another that you love. Um, I also feel there's something interesting in it. Did you ever read or did you ever watch the movie Ruby Sparks? No,
1: I I don't think I know it.
0: (laughs) So long story short, this guy is a writer. I want to say, I think it's a novel too. This guy's a writer and he writes a story and writes a girl to life. And... It is the ultimate yeah, it's the ultimate put her on a pedestal. Galatea,
1: right? The what's his name? Pygmalion and Galatea.
0: Yes. It is absolutely that. The idea of creating someone into something and suddenly one day it is given sentience of its own and then you no longer are content that it has that sentience and leaves you. Yes. Because it grows a mind and wants something else. And it, it very much so makes me think of that.
1: It also makes me think of I was also thinking this when I was reading This uh, the story, her, the movie, her, her Her? (laughs) with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, which that might be why you didn't watch it. But it's just her voice. Might be why it's just her voice. But you know, it's it's a similar, I guess, kind of idea, too. And it now that we're talking about it, Laurie is actually the one who has a personality amongst like the two the two women characters we know. She's an anthropologist, she likes learning things, she cares about understanding other people, and longs to be a better anthropologist and is jealous of Leah's abilities because of that. And she's lonely, but everyone's lonely in this story except for, I don't know, Dino and the guy who works for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And look at why they're not lonely.
1: I don't know why. I The other guy just seems content with his life. Gir, ghoulie? Girly?
0: We don't know enough about Girl? him, yeah. Um, we don't know enough about him, but of the main yeah, four.
1: Yeah. So there's another poem that does get referenced. It's Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's The Theologian's Tale, Elizabeth. He wrote a couple of, I guess, poems that were inspired by people that he knew, and... It's a really, really long poem, and to be honest, most of it does not yeah. apply whatsoever to this story. It's kind of just about Elizabeth's life, and she's, I think, a real person who lends her name and to a couple of places in New England, and marries this godly man. I think he's a pastor. And they have a good time, but most of the poem has absolutely nothing to do with the story. But here is the part <laughs> that does have to do with the story and things do end up actually pretty okay for Elizabeth at the end, so I don't know why. But this is a famous line and also, I think, gives some inspiration for The Great Gatsby as well. We have Hmm. ships that pass in the night and speak each other in passing, only a signal shown and a distant voice in the darkness. So on the ocean of life, we pass and speak one another, only a look and a voice, then darkness again, and a silence. And that that's very much like what Leah was saying earlier, right? Normals, they only have a voice of anything, only a look and a voice. And then the people passing and distant from one another in the darkness.
0: Then silence Then we're all alone in the dark.
1: Yeah. But then by the next, the next verse or so, the next few lines of this poem, that is not what happens for Elizabeth. She gets married.
0: <laughs> and she seems happy. Well, maybe Leah's getting married. That's true. That's a
1: great point.
0: In the afterlife.
1: They do call it a union, which is how marriage is described.
0: That is kind of her marriage. Yeah. Right there. I ship her and 14,000 of no, them. No, no,
1: 14,000 years worth of them. There's definitely I'm more. Sorry, so
0: it's much more than that. <laughs> There's way more than 14,000 of them. She's going to be slinging space genitalia, yeah. and I love that for her. Yeah. Wow. Well, my... Favorite and, and that poem is so fucking long. I'm did you honestly, read it? I was like, to you because, "I know this woman's oh, yeah. whole life now." <laughs> yeah, you know more about her than you do, Leah.
1: Ah, uh, that's true. Maybe because she was real. But
0: are you saying that Leah's not real?
1: So anyway,
0: <laughs> glossing over that, I thought the understanding of the Grishka finally at the end from Rob and. Uh, you know, that, that when he finally takes a moment to feel them, thoroughly feel uh, them and let their feelings flow through him, it was some of the most beautiful writing from George. Super raw, super emotional. And I think it'd be a shame not to call out these couple paragraphs before we close out today because it's like, I mean, when I read this, I was like, George, my God, you've done it again. I was like, he did it. Ah, oh, he did it. It was gorgeous. I even had to read it out loud to my roommate.
1: That you, you I was like you got to read your this, whom you I don't know have a look in a voice and
0: darkness and so A look and a voice. And and like, a and oh a voice. God, sorry, sorry. God. Oh, we read one another. Let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. So, anyways, this sad, horrible, beautiful paragraph. God. But it's wrong to call it a mind storm. It was immense and awesome and intense, searing and blinding and choking. But it was peaceful too and gentle with a gentleness that was more violent than human hate. It shrieked soft shrieks and siren calls and pulled at me seductively, and it washed over me in crimson waves of passion and drew me to it. It filled me and emptied me all at once, and I heard the bells somewhere clanging a harsh bronze song, a song of love and surrender and togetherness, of ice and fire, of joining and union and never being alone. Storm, mind storm, yes, it was that but it was to an ordinary mindstorm as a supernova is to a hurricane and its violence was the violence of love it loved me that mindstorm and it wanted me and its bells called to me and sang its love and i reached to it and touched wanting to be with it wanting to link wanting never to be alone again and suddenly i was on the crest of a great wave once again a wave of fire that washed across the stars forever and this time i knew the wave would never end this time i would not be alone afterwards upon my darkling plain But with that phrase i thought of leah so good it is it's probably what generous sex is gonna be like probably and you know
1: yeah i mean it 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 does speak a lot to that right the hate versus love and them being the same i wonder how that's gonna play out you know that exploration (laughs)
0: weirdly i feel going back to what i said earlier right of how it's like it's not incesty but it has almost incest vibes for no reason going on yeah it makes me think of how that connection for john and danny will really be yeah
1: because that that of incest. like
0: isolation and loneliness yeah this one is incest but <laughs> I but it, i feel like it'll have these similar weird vibes that i'm feeling what are these weird vibes i'm feeling why am i feeling like this
1: yeah of i don't know Trauma bonding.
0: Yeah, it's just trauma bonding. Yeah,
1: and uh, you know that with that phrase, I thought of. Lee, I thought that it was interesting when you call it out and isolate this this passage of. It's the thought of that one other person that he loves that separates him from the collective.
0: Mm. Yeah, think, it's what keeps him singular. I
1: actually thought uh, when I was reading this short story that he was going to join the Grishka initially just to be with her. And that it would contrast their two different reasons for joining, but it's it's probably for the better that he didn't. I don't know. I don't know if I can say that. That's the thing. You don't know if you can say it's for the better that he didn't go to it, and I think that's something that's really strong about this story.
0: Because none of us ever do know. Yeah,
1: it's, a, it's very ambiguous. And I like it that. It goes
0: back to that line that I think you called out or highlighted earlier, the... I wondered briefly if I knew any human half so well as I now knew this great fat Skeen. Then I wondered whether Liana, with her talent, knew anyone half so well. It was almost as if the Speaker wanted all of us to live through his life right here and now. Uh, that idea of, like, that, but then also, it's almost as if the Speaker wanted us to live right now. I felt, like, called out.
1: I think that that was so powerful because just because this man told everyone his like life story, he feels so connected to him even more than Lyanna, I'm like, I don't know.
0: Right, interesting that being, well, and especially with his powers of being able to feel things, like that has to be such a strong magnetic thing to, while he's telling you all of that, reading that and feeling that, it's a, I mean, I think it's a, telling stories is important, right? Yeah. Storytelling is important. It's what keeps us together as a people, as culturally, uh it's ways to preserve our cultures to preserve our families and our stories to pass it down from one to the other uh it's very powerful it's a very powerful feeling and
1: it's not even just passing it down and remembering it's also which which is i think part of the sharing the argument yeah that's made in his dark materials because you're talking about connections with that right tell them stories and it's about telling true stories and living your life etc this one is about we tell stories, especially of ourselves, in order to get other people to understand us. How did we become this way? Why do we think this way? And and it's ultimately in order to connect. And maybe we all aren't all going to, you know, explode into a giant red sea of tang, or join in a grishka but we can still share about ourselves to one another. And now that I think about it, Valkyrie never does that. He doesn't really talk about himself.
0: Nope. He only talks about his accomplishments, like you said. And it's not, it's also, you know, this kind of sharing the story is sharing the load. Right. Not that load, but not just stop the story, hashtag gossip girl, but, uh, it's like every story that they tell and every bit of that story that, like, you know, like when you trauma dump on a friend and tell them a whole entire story about something that happened to you as a child and the other person hears it and accepts it, it it strengthens you, right? It makes you feel stronger. It makes you feel more connected. It makes you feel stronger that someone else is sharing that tiny part of you that you no longer have to carry alone. Especially when it's
1: accepted. And that's, I think, a big part of, the importance of the gathering because someone is there and they're listening and they're accepting and loving it anyway, despite being separate before mm-hmm. you go on to the people who will go and accept it because they will fully know it and experience it. Yeah. i Evangelion. That's,
0: that's love.
1: Which one? The first one or All the second one?
0: Evangelion.
1: Evangelion is the argument of be separate in love anyway, I think.
0: Man. It's a deep-ass story. He was feeling some shit. You're so right. Yeah,
1: a lot of stories were, I think, kind of exploring that, not just at that time, but in general, right? Like, we're about to talk about Sailor Moon. The Galaxy Cauldron is kind of the same thing. Same fear. Yeah.
0: And Yes. Much,
1: much later on in time, much later on, Infinite Tsukuyomi in Naruto is a similar thing.
0: I'm not responding to that, nor will I dignify it with a response. Oh, I'm just saying- glossing over I'm just that. saying a
1: lot of media, you know, like-
0: It's a big theme in yeah, media. Yeah, well, the
1: stories and the monsters that are popular at a certain time kind of helps you see the anxieties of the society at that time, right? Like the zombie thing, like Rose, and maybe partially about the fear of corporate culture and like mindlessness and the loss of self. And
0: work I mean think about when this came out right with all of the racial tensions in the US at that time oh, too and with segregation and people apart yeah
1: and then also with with war War was a very prominent mm-hmm. like with the Vietnam War which greatly influences George etc but yeah. yeah and then this one I guess especially in particular in regards to George's George's love life which is what I think a lot of the thousand world stories might actually
0: be about. I love that, though. Like, if the Thousand Worlds are just your love life, like, that's great, George. That's such a great exploration. And also to recontextualize them into those worlds, each of them, and tell a story that way. How fun.
1: Yeah, especially if your favorite character is Littlefinger. Wait. Or Jora. <laughs> I said what I said.
0: <laughs> Less fun. Less fun. Uh. Overall, that's a strong-ass story. I really liked it. Very different from Ice Dragon. And I I liked that, though. It was a good different.
1: Yeah, it is really different from the Ice Dragon. And as, as Spider Robinson said, it's so dazzlingly good that it would cover a much greater multitude of sins. Maybe because we would learn to accept and forgive one another of those sins through love. he's like, am I going to accept and forgive these sins of Eliana? I see it on her face.
0: She has been in rare form today, folks. Rare form. She has been at her peak, Eliana's, and I want you to know that I do love and accept you and your sins, Eliana. I don't. Now, later, forever. I don't know if
1: it was peak, but I do think that the Britney Spears reference was a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to us as we chatted about a song for Leah. I had a blast. With or without Eliana and her natural talents.
1: Talents. Yeah, they even go capital T. I'm like, okay.
0: Uh, Touched a talents. Uh, We'll be back next month to cover the final published story at this time (laughs) in the Night of the Seven Kingdoms series Uh, The Mystery Night. The Mystery Night. We'll Mm -hmm. have to figure out a fun name for that one. We had Drunken Egg the whole time, so.
1: We had Drunken Egg, and then, I don't know, we were pretty sober for for the Sworn Sword.
0: Maybe a mystery night will have to be the true Drunk A Song of Ice and Fire throwback episode. It'll
1: be a mystery, just like this story was a little bit of a noir.
0: A little bit. A little bit of a mystery.
1: Thanks, everyone. See you next month. Bye.